Before we get into God's word this evening, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much for bringing us here tonight, Lord, for another night of unlocking prophecy. And Lord, as we've seen thus far, Lord, as we've looked at different prophecies in the Bible, we've looked at Daniel chapter 2, and we've looked at the signs of the times, Lord, we've seen all these things that are happening, Lord, and we've seen that the prophecies of the Bible are coming true. And Lord, that gives us confidence. It gives us confidence in your word. It gives us confidence that your coming is soon. And Lord, we want to be ready. And Lord, we pray that as we look at this next topic, Lord, Revelation's sign of allegiance, Lord, that we would see what this sign is and how important it is to you and how important it should be to your end time people. So Lord, we pray that you would bless our study tonight. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Give us understanding and help us, Lord, to leave this place drawn closer to you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in 1831, there was a ship called the HMS Beagle, which, which set sail from Great Britain to the Galapagos Islands, 500, mass, 500 miles west of Ecuador. On board was a young scientist by the name of Charles Darwin. Anyone ever heard of him? On this epic journey, he studied many of the animals at the Galapagos Islands, and he was very intrigued by the different variations that he saw uh, among animals of even the same species. This led Darwin to promote a rather different view of origins. As a result of his studies, Darwin came to believe that humans evolved from lower life forms over the process of millions and millions of years. In his mind, there was no place for an all-powerful creator God. Now, Darwin wasn't the first to promote the idea of evolution, but he popularized the idea and is given credit for it. Now, friends, we live in a world where evolution is now taught as if it's almost 100% fact. That's how great this deception is. Back when I lived in California, I, I lived there for one year, and I was, attended a community college down there. And I enrolled in a biology course there at the community college. And on the very first day of class, I was told by my professor that in order to really understand biology, that I must believe in the theory of evolution. He was like an evolutionary evangelist. He was really trying to promote this in his class. But friends, if you follow evolution to its logical conclusion, then there's no real meaning and purpose in life because it's all about the survival of the fittest. As a society, though, we've drifted away from the concept of God as being the creator. And but, but believe it or not, friends, even some churches now teach that evolution is now compatible with biblical teaching. There are some churches out there that say that the first 11 chapters of Genesis are just made-up fiction. I'm not even kidding, friends. There are people out there that believe that it was just all made up. And they, believe, they say they believe in the Bible. It's very sad to see this, though, friends. It's sad to see even Christians go down this road of unbelief in the Scriptures. Although skeptics doubt God's Word, we've shown over the course of our meetings that this book can be trusted. Amen? We've seen how prophecies have come to pass just as God had foretold with amazing accuracy. And it gives us confidence that God's word is reliable. And I believe, friends, with all my heart, that this book is inspired by God. Amen? Amen? And I would rather believe what God has to say about our origins than what any man has to say about it. 
So is evolution really how humanity came into existence? What does the Bible really teach on this topic? Well, the Bible begins in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Friends, the Bible does not waste any time on this topic. It doesn't beat around the bush on this issue. It comes straight forward and says that God is the creator God. Amen? God is the creator of this earth. Psalm 33, verse 6 and 9 says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So friends, God spoke, and things came into being. God's word has creative power. John chapter 1, verse 1 says this. It says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. Later in verse 14 of that same chapter, it tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Friends, this word is Jesus. Amen? It's Jesus. And all things, the Bible says, all things were made through him and without him, nothing was made that was made. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, Paul states that God created all things through Jesus Christ. So here we see that Paul affirms that Christ created all things. But friends, it should be no surprise to us, and it's, and it's no surprise to God, that in these last days, Satan would try to get people to forget that God is their creator. Why would he do that? Well, friends, it's because God knows that Satan, sorry, Satan knows that God is the creator and that all worship and all glory and all praise belong to him. We saw last week that Satan wanted to be like the Most High. Do you guys remember that presentation? We looked at this great cosmic conflict that's taking, taking place in our universe. We saw that Lucifer wanted the worship that was due to God alone. And when you get down to the book of Revelation, you see that worship is a big deal in the book of Revelation. In fact, in the book of Revelation, uh, the word worship is mentioned 24 times. To give you an idea of, of how much that is compared to the rest of the New Testament, that's one-third of all occurrences of the word worship is in the book of Revelation. Worship is a big deal. Revelation 4.11 tells us why God is worthy to be worshipped. It says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Why? It says, For you created all things, and, for, and by your will they exist and were created. Friends, we worship God because he's our creator God. Amen? He's our creator God. For he created all things, and by his will they exist. Friends, you exist because of God's will. Amen? You exist because God created you and fearfully made you in your mother's womb. But the Bible says here later on in, verse, in Revelation chapter 13, we see that, that God showed John that there would be an end time spiritual battle over the issue of worship. Revelation 13 verse 4 says, So they worshipped the dragon who gave the authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Verse 8 says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So here we see that John sees that in the last days there will be a lot of people 
who will be worshiping the dragon. They will be worshiping this beast power instead of worshiping the creator God. But praise God, friends, in Revelation chapter 14, it contains a last day message for, it's it's a last day call for all people to worship God as their creator. Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. It's been a, we're going to take a look at that now. It's been a familiar passage throughout our series thus far. But it says there in Revelation 14, 6 and 7, Then I, John, saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. This is a worldwide message that's going out. It's going to every tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. Why? For the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who did what? Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Friends, in these last days, a call is going out to fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And not only that, friends, we're called to worship the creator, the one who made heaven and earth and everything in it. And friends, in an age of evolution, this is a message that the whole world desperately needs to hear. Just five verses later in Revelation 14, 12, it describes God's last day people as being a commandment-keeping people. Not because they're trying to be saved, but because they love Jesus. The Bible says in Revelation 14, 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who do what? They keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Now we saw last night, friends, that God wrote the Ten Commandments in stone with his own finger, right? He wrote it and gave it to Moses on Mount Sinai. We saw that it was a law of love. We saw that the first four commandments show our love to God and the last six show our love to our fellow man. We also saw last night that the law of God existed before Mount Sinai. In fact, The Bible says that Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, which means that they broke God's holy law. Because the Bible tells us in 1 John 3, verse 4, that sin is transgression of the law. Another example of the law being before Mount Sinai is Joseph in Egypt. You guys know what happened to Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery and God... God was with him as he was there in Egypt, and eventually he was in Potiphar's house. He was one of the top leaders there in Egypt, and Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. And when that happened, he said this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. He says, How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He knew that adultery was wrong. He knew that, that fornication was wrong. He knew God's law, friends. We also see in uh, Genesis chapter 26, verse 5, that Abraham kept God's law before it was ever written down on tables of stone. And in an age of evolution and secularism, the commandments still speak to us today. And they call us to remember. They call us to honor. And they call us to worship our Creator God. Unfortunately, though, there is one commandment in particular that is often overlooked and even ignored. And it so happens to be the only commandment that begins with the word remember. It's the fourth commandment of the Bible. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you should labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. 
In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant nor your female servant, nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. Now notice here, friends, that the Bible says that the Sabbath day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. Notice it doesn't say that it's the Sabbath of the Jews. Sometimes you'll, you'll hear people say that the Sabbath is just a Jewish thing. But remember, friends, that the Sabbath day came 2,000 years before the Jewish people ever came into existence. It's way back in the beginning. Now, the Sabbath was not given for just one race of people. It was given for all people for all time. Which is, of course, true of all of God's Ten Commandments. So why keep the Sabbath? Well, the Bible gives us the reason here in Exodus chapter 20, verse 11. It says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. So there's the, the reminder right there in the commandment that God is our creator God. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he did what? He hollowed it. God made it a special day. He made it holy. God said, remember the Sabbath day. And as you do, you will remember who God is and who you are in him. Notice that it also says that the Lord rested on the seventh day. It also says that he blessed the seventh day and that he hallowed it. He set it apart. In other words, he made it a holy and special day. So when did the Sabbath come into place? Well, friends, it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, back to creation week. The Bible tells us that God created the world in six literal days. In Genesis chapter 1, each day of the creation week ends by saying there was evening and the morning. The first day, the second day, the third day, and all the way through. So they were literal 24-hour days. On the first day of creation, God said, let there be light and Boom, there was lights. And each day for five days, God created and added beauty to this world. And he was preparing the world for what would take place on the sixth day of creation. Because on the sixth day, God's masterpiece of, on the sixth day came God's masterpiece of creation. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, the Bible tells us, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Friends, the word of God makes it clear that you and I were designed and made by a God of love. We saw that uh, last night and the, the, the previous nights in 1 John 4, 8, it says that God is love. God is love. So we were formed by a loving God. We didn't evolve from monkeys. We were made in the very image of God. After six days of creating, the Bible tells us in Genesis 2, 2, and on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Now, God rested on the seventh day, friends, not because he was tired, <laughs> but he paused to enjoy the world that he had made. The Bible tells us that God neither sleeps nor slumbers. So it wasn't that he was tired. And by doing so, friends, he gave the human family a memorial of his creative power, an eternal sign of his power to create as well as his power to recreate. Genesis chapter 2, verse 3 says, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Now notice that God did three things 
on the seventh day. First, it says that he blessed the seventh day. Second, he sanctified it, or he set it apart as a holy day. The third thing, or, or, and, the, and the last thing, is that he rested on that day from all of his work. Friends, there's only one day that God bestowed that kind of special attention upon. The only day of the week that he blessed was the seventh day. Look throughout Genesis, you'll see that that was the only day that God especially blessed. Not only that, friends, but he made that day holy. Now, you, now you and I and, and no church or no church council can make something holy, but only God can. Amen? Only God can make something holy. The seventh-day Sabbath is an awesome sign of God's creative power. The power that he had when he made this world and the power that he has to remake and restore each and every one of us. God gave the human family the Sabbath as a reminder of who he is and what he is capable of doing. And it's on God's Sabbath day that God wants us to especially rest in him. He wants to bless us. He wants to sanctify us. It's his special date with humanity each week that we can look forward to, where we can give him our undivided attention. Think about this, friends. Have you ever wondered why we have a seven-day week? We have a year with uh, 365 and a quarter days because that's how long it takes for the earth to go around the sun. That makes sense to us. We have a month because uh, that's, it's about 30 days long because of the motion of the moon. We have a day that lasts 24 hours because that's how long it takes for the earth to rotate around its axis. But why do we have a seven-day week? It's because back in the beginning, God created in six days and he rested on the seventh. There's no other explanation that science can give for that. Every week, Believers and atheists alike recognize the reality of creation by marking off another seven-day week. God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, and he said, Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who does what? Sanctifies them. Now notice that the Sabbath is a sign of loyalty. It's a sign of loyalty between God and his people that they might know him and that they might know his sanctifying power. The Sabbath reminds us that God made us in the beginning and that he's able to remake us in the here and now. When somebody finds themselves caught in sin, evolution offers no way out, but God does. Amen? When King David... When King David committed adultery with Bathsheba, he repented in Psalm 51.10 and he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Friends, when you are broken like David was broken, the Creator God is able to remake you. Is that good news? Amen. The, the Creator God is able to remake you. He's able to give you a clean heart and a fresh start. So we see here that God gave the Sabbath as a sign between him and his followers. So is Sabbath keeping still encouraged in the New Testament? Indeed it is, friends. What about Jesus? Did he keep the Sabbath? Yes, he did. Let's look at Luke chapter 4, verse 16. The Bible says, So he, that is Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on which day? 
the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Now, if there was any reason why people should not observe the Sabbath, don't you think that Jesus, the creator God, would have told us about it? Think about that for a moment. But by Christ's example, Jesus demonstrates that the seventh-day Sabbath is still important to God. Jesus never questioned which day the Sabbath day is. He did, however, question the legalistic requirements that the Jews had put surrounding the Sabbath. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 12, 12, Jesus said, Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. For Christ, the Sabbath was a day for acts of mercy and compassion. It was a wonderful day of worship and praise. It was a day of fellowship and a day of blessing. The Sabbath was not some legalistic, narrow-minded requirement. It was a day to bless others. So the question is, is what day of the week is the biblical Sabbath day? Well, thankfully, friends, there's no need to guess. There's no need to speculate because the Bible makes it very, very clear. In Luke chapter 23, verse 52, it says, This man, that is Joseph of Arimathea, he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock, where no one had ever lain before. That day was which day? It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath drew near. And the woman who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to what? According to the commandments. Notice it continues here in Luke chapter 24, verse 1. It says, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing spices which they had prepared. So here we see the sequence of events. We see that Jesus died on Friday, which the Bible also calls the preparation day, which is the day before the Sabbath. Then he rested on the tomb on Saturday, which is the Sabbath, and his disciples rested as well, according to the commandment. And then it shows us that Christ rose on Sunday, the first day of the week. To this, many Christians have said, well, we worship on Sunday in honor of the resurrection. Interestingly enough, though, there are eight texts in the New Testament that mention the first day of the week, and not one of them tells us to worship on Sunday in honor of the resurrection. But Christ has given us a symbol of the resurrection, friends, and it's actually baptism. Look at what it says here in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. It says, Or do you not know that as many of us, that, that as many, let me read that over again here. It says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So just as Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected, we remember and we honor the resurrection by being baptized and by committing our lives to Christ 100%. We come up from the watery grave with new life in Christ. Baptism is the New Testament symbol of the resurrection. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
We honor Christ as the creator by keeping the Bible Sabbath. Friends, if you were to look in a dictionary, it would tell you that Sunday is obviously the first day of the week and that the Sabbath or Saturday is the seventh day of the week. There's no doubt about that. You can go home tonight and go to dictionary.com and that is what it will tell you. And interestingly enough, if you look at the languages, the languages of the world, in many of them, the word for Saturday is simply Sabbath. For instance, here in Spanish, it's sabado. That's probably the one that I can pronounce the best. <laughs> in Russian, it's sabota. In Italian, it's sabato. And you see the list, it goes on and on. But is it possible, friends? Some may wonder, you know, maybe it's time, maybe, maybe the time of the Sabbath has somehow been lost throughout the year. Some may wonder that. And maybe somehow the day that we now call the first day is somehow different from the day that they called the first day back in the time of Jesus. Well, those who study the stars and the planets in space are unanimous that there is absolutely no evidence that we've ever lost track of time. The day that today we call the seventh day is still the same seventh day of the week that, was, that it was when Jesus was here on this earth. And the only way around this would be is if the entire planet went to bed, let's say on a Tuesday, and they all overslept by 24 hours, and they got up on Thursday and thought that Thursday was actually Wednesday. <laughs> but friends, that's not possible, is it? <laughs> all six billion people in the world, that could not happen. Calendars have historically shown us that Saturday is the seventh day of the week. And if there was any doubt as to which day was the Sabbath day, the simple thing would, go, would be to go and see what the Jews are doing today. Clearly, they're still worshiping on the seventh day Sabbath. So the Sabbath, according to the fourth commandment, is on Saturday. We see that the first Sabbath was kept approximately 6,000 years ago when God rested from his work of creation. And approximately 2,000 years ago, Jesus rested in the tomb following his work of redemption. Thus, the Sabbath is a memorial of creation and redemption. So some may wonder, well, what's in it for us? Well, friends, the Sabbath is much more than a law. The Sabbath was meant to be a blessing for all of humanity, something for our good. The Sabbath was given by God so that we could rest, so that we could recharge, so that we could reconnect with God, so that we could be a blessing to others. And we are designed not only to have union with God, but we're also designed to have union with others. And the Sabbath makes that all possible. Sabbath is such a blessing. What a blessing it is that God never said, I'm taking the Sabbath away. Imagine God giving the Jews a rest day each week and then telling the rest of us, I'm not going to give you that day. That just wouldn't make sense, would it, friends? God made the Sabbath for all of mankind. So how important do you think this is to God? Well, for one thing, God did not give us the ten suggestions. He gave us the ten commandments. Secondly, it was important enough for God to write it, write the Ten Commandments with his very own finger on tables of stone. Let me share a little story that will hopefully help uh, to illustrate this. Imagine that before, before I married my dear wife, Kristen, that her mom and her dad had seven daughters. 
Imagine that one day I came to her dad and said, Dennis, I want to I marry one of your daughters. And he said, which one? And I said, I want to marry the seventh. I want to marry Kristen. She is amazing. I want to marry her. And since he thought that I would make a good son-in-law, he said, sure, no problem. I'll, I'll get her to church on time. No problem. Fast forward to the wedding day and, and, and the bride is making her way down the aisle with her veil down, holding her father's arm. The church is full of people, family members and friends. And she gets to the front and she lifts her veil and it's daughter number one. What do you think I'm going to do? Am I going to say, okay, well, I guess one bride is as good as another? I don't think so, friends. I don't think so. In the same way, God did not say the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, or the sixth. He said the seventh. He said the seventh day. If all days were the same to God, he would have said, pick a day, any day. But he didn't do that, friends. He said, remember the seventh day. He said the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. You see, friends, the Sabbath is a memorial. And memorials cause us to reflect as we remember. And memorials don't get changed. You can celebrate your wedding anniversary the day before or the day after your wedding date, but that doesn't change the day you got married. You can celebrate Independence Day on July 3rd or July 5th, but you'd be out of step with history. And friends, we certainly can't change a memorial that was given by God himself. Now Jesus' example is very clear, but, but what about his followers? What about the disciples and the apostles? What happened after Jesus died? Well, Acts chapter 17, verse 2, the Bible tells us, Then Paul, as his custom was, went to them, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. Friends, these were three consecutive weekly Sabbaths. These were not ceremonial Sabbaths, which shows us that long after Jesus died, Paul was still keeping the Sabbath. So was this just because Paul was Jewish? No, no, it wasn't. Uh, in Acts chapter 13, we see another example. It says there that on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who met there. So notice that this meeting was out of the city. It was out of the synagogue. It wasn't, it wasn't where all the Jews normally met there in the synagogue, showing us that Sabbath observance wasn't just for the Jews, but it was for all believers. Another instance is in Acts chapter 13, verse 42, where it says, So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Not on Sunday, not the next Sunday, but on the next Sabbath. And notice who's saying this, friends. It's the Gentiles. The Gentiles are begging for it, not the Jews. The Jews would have customarily been going on Sabbath, but the Gentiles would have had no background of that kind. But here they are begging that he might come preach to them the next Sabbath. And in verse 44, it says, On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Isn't that exciting, friends? I wish I could have been there to see that. The whole city coming out to hear the word of God. More than 50 times in the New Testament, the Sabbath is mentioned, but never was there any mention of a change. Never was there mention, uh, a mention of the change of the day because there simply wasn't a change. 
In fact, Jesus spoke specifically to the New Testament church about this. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and 28, Jesus said the Sabbath was made for who? Man. That word is actually mankind. It was made, made for all of humanity and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So notice again here, friends, that the Sabbath was not made only for the Jews, but it was made for all of mankind. Now, there are some who want to say that Sunday is the Lord's Day in honor of the resurrection, but nowhere in Scripture does it say that Sunday is the Lord's Day. Notice also, though, that this text says that the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath day. The Sabbath is the Lord's special day that he's set aside for each one of us. And since Jesus created the world, the Sabbath is a memorial of his special work of creation. So when, so when John was on the island of Patmos and he went into vision, it says here in Revelation 1.10 that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was referring to the Sabbath day. An additional text describing what day is the Lord's holy day is found in Isaiah 58 verses 13 and 14. It says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on whose day? My holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth, and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Friends, God wants us to enjoy the blessings of the Sabbath. He wants us to enjoy the blessings of his holy day. He wants us to delight in it and also in him. Jesus also mentioned that, there were, that, uh, that people would be keeping the Sabbath after his death and resurrection. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 19 and 20, Jesus, Jesus is talking about the destruction of Jerusalem that would occur in A.D. 70. He's prophesying and, and letting them know that this is going to happen in advance. 39 years after Jesus' death, Jesus said this. He was warning them. He said, But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Looking into the future, Jesus was saying the Sabbath will still be important. It will still be kept even 40 years, nearly 40 years after his death. So clearly Sabbath keeping did not end when Jesus died on the cross. Now when Jesus died on the cross, something did happen though. The veil of the temple was torn in two. And the ceremonies, the types, and the shadows came to an end. They met their fulfillment in Christ. Which is why there's no need for feast days, no more animal sacrifices for believers in Christ. But when Jesus died on the cross, did thou shalt not kill suddenly disappear? No, it did not. Did honor your father and your mother go out the window? No, it did not, friends. What about remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? No, that remained as well. The ceremonial law was no longer kept, but the moral law remained. It was unchangeable. It is immutable. Now, when the, now when, the question is, is, now when does the Sabbath begin and end? Well, Leviticus chapter 23, 32 tells us that from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. From evening to evening. And Mark 1, 32 shows us that the sick were brought to Jesus at evening when the sun had set 
on Sabbath. So the Bible makes it clear that the Sabbath begins and ends at sunset. So when the sun goes down on Friday evening, the Sabbath begins. And on Saturday evening, when the sun goes down, the Sabbath ends. In the summer, it's a little later. In the winter, it's a little bit earlier. So wherever you are in the world, whenever the sun sets on Friday, that's when the Sabbath begins and you have 24 hours of special time to spend with your Creator God. The way days are calculated in the Bible are from evening to morning. Uh, we notice this in the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. And with passages like we've just seen in Leviticus and Mark. So although a new day starts at midnight for us, that's normal, right? Once it hits midnight, it's the next day. But biblically speaking, the new day begins when the sun sets. Thus, the Sabbath begins at Friday sunset and ends at sunset on Saturday. So here we've seen that the very first Sabbath was in the Garden of Eden. God rested. God blessed the seventh day. He sanctified it. We've seen that Adam and Eve kept Sabbath. We've seen that Abraham kept the Sabbath, as well as Moses, Isaiah, as well as other prophets. And the early Christian church also kept the Sabbath day. And it should be no surprise to us, friends, that the Sabbath will also be kept in heaven. The Bible tells us here in Isaiah 66, 22, it says, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. And it shall come to pass from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another that all flesh shall come to worship before me, says the Lord. Friends, if we will be keeping the Sabbath in heaven by worshiping God together, then it's obviously important that we keep the Sabbath on earth by worshiping together with fellow believers. Amen? Remembering, and by doing so, we remember that God is our creator as well as our redeemer. God intended the Sabbath to be a release valve from the pressures of this life. He intended it to be a day that would safeguard the family, a day that would help safeguard our relationship with God, a day which we could focus on the things of heaven. Yes, Christians should honor and worship God on uh, every day of the week, right? But there is one day, one day where the whole day, the whole entire day is given to the things of heaven. Friends, you certainly can't keep every day holy. In fact, God never asked us to do that. In fact, it wouldn't be right because the commandment says in the fourth commandment, it says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. So keeping every day holy isn't even biblical, but we should live each day for the Lord. Amen? But God does give us a day. He tells workaholics that they can take a break. <laughs> he encourages families to regroup. The Sabbath is quality time with God. It's time for worship. It's time for family. It's quality time uninterrupted by work and uninterrupted by secular concerns. On Sabbath, I don't have to worry about how much money I have in the bank account or how little money I have in the bank account. I don't have to worry about all the news and all the terrible things that are happening in this world. I can simply rest in Christ. Those things can all wait until the sun sets. It's time that is made holy by our Creator so that we can grow in His presence and so that we can grow in His love. Think about what this says about God. 
Think about this. If the government told us that we're, going to, that we're going to make another holiday, we're going to take another day off each year as a national holiday, there wouldn't be too many people that would complain about that, right? But God does way better than that. He says, I'm going to give you a special day each and every week. Special day. God wants us to have more of his presence. He doesn't want us to just survive in this world. He wants us to thrive in this world. He wants us to be the, all that we can possibly be for Jesus. God wants to be the focus of your life like he's never been before. He wants you to connect with him like you've never connected with him before. He wants you to take a weekly break from the constant go, go, go of your life. Yes, God knows that you have business worries. He knows that you have pressures. He knows that you have concerns and financial needs. But friends, he wants you to take a weekly timeout and let the adrenaline stop flowing. Relax and rest in him. Let the stress drain away from your life. Think about this for a moment. The human body operates on a 24-hour rhythm called the circadian rhythm. The scientist known as the father of chronobiology, Dr. Franz Hallberg from the University of Minnesota, says that humans operate actually on a seven-day cycle. The circadian rhythm shows that many of our functions operate in seven-day cycles. Heartbeat, blood pressure, body temperature, and a lot more are governed by our circadian rhythms, which goes to show that it only makes sense that we should observe a seventh-day Sabbath. We were wired that way by our Creator God. Isn't that amazing? Now, I'm certainly not saying that the fourth commandment is any more important than any of the other commandments, but friends, God wants you to know that the fourth commandment is no less important than all of the other nine commandments. When ten commandments become nine commandments, you're settling for only 90% of the blessings that God wants to give you, which doesn't make a lot of sense, friends. In fact, James wrote that whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. He's guilty of breaking them all. So friends, if you're breaking one commandment, you're guilty of breaking all the commandments. Remember what Jesus said in John 14, 15. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love Jesus, if you love me, he says, keep my commandments. Friends, keeping the commandments isn't legalism. Yes, there are people that will say, oh, that's legalism. But friends, it's not legalism. It's love. It's love. It's our way of showing our love to God and showing love to our neighbor by keeping the commandments. And friends, you'll find that as you surrender to God and Jesus lives his life in you, that you'll be keeping his commandments because the law is written right here. It's written in your hearts. It's written in your mind. And you'll love it. You'll love to do the things that please Jesus. And as a result, you will grow from it. Your relationship will, with God will grow and you will thrive from following his word. But what does this mean about great grandma who never heard about the Sabbath? She never heard about the seventh day Sabbath. She never kept it. Well, friends, she may have lived as a lovely Christian lady who loved and served God with all of her heart, but she knew nothing about the Sabbath. The word of God says this, in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, it says that the times of ignorance God overlooked. Isn't that good news, friends? At the time of our ignorance, meaning here that if you don't know, if she didn't know, God's not going to hold her accountable for it. He will overlook that time. 
But God shares this message with you, with all of us here, because God wants the very best for us. And he's determined that the whole world will know this message. That's why we see it in the three angels' message of Revelation 14. So that everyone will have an opportunity to worship God in spirit and in truth. And that they can enjoy the blessings that God has to offer. Friends, when God offers you something that will enhance and bless your life, you want to grab hold of that with both hands. The Christian who loves the Lord will want to do God's will. They will want God's will to be done in their life. This is practical. This is common sense. And friends, the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath is even good for your health. <laughs> it's a blessing to take that time off. It's God's idea, and he wants you to thrive in preparation for eternity. If what we've discussed tonight is new to you, I would encourage you to go to the Bible. Study out for yourself. Look at the text in your study guide. Read and understand. And say to God, God, show me your will and give me the grace to surrender to it. If Jesus was willing to die for you, then you should want to live for him. Amen? We'll always be safe following Jesus' example, won't we? And we want to be followers of Jesus today. Sometimes we stumble across things without ever really realizing its value. One day in 1975, there was a man that was coming home from work at the Fiat plant in Turin, Italy. On his way home, he stopped at a police station where an auction was taking place. Lost or stolen property that had been recovered but never claimed was being sold off. From time to time, this man would stop at these auctions to see if there was something worthwhile to buy. On this particular day, he saw two paintings for sale, and he liked them. He thought they were beautiful. He thought that they would look good on the wall above his kitchen table. But someone else wanted those paintings. So he had to pay a little bit more than what he was hoping, but he won the auction, and he got those paintings. And he was very glad that he did. He took them home. He hung them up on his kitchen wall. And every day he'd come home, and he'd see his pictures, and he'd smile. He liked them. He, he loved seeing them. They were beautiful. And years later, his son went off to college and took an art appreciation class. And as he was leafing through a book one day, he saw a picture of something that looked remarkably familiar. It looked like one of those paintings in the kitchen. Upon closer investigation, he discovered that one of those paintings was by a French painter named Pierre Bernard. He was a master painter. The other was a painting by Paul Gauguin. And when the paintings were valued, it was found that they were worth $65 million. $65 million. And because the painting had been stolen, the original, and the original owners had been paid insurance money, and because there were no heirs of the original owners that were still living, there was no one to return the paintings to. So now our retired auto worker it was now the proud owner of $65 million worth of beautiful artwork, which he had hung on his kitchen wall for the best part of 40 years. And he never realized how valuable they were. But when he found out, you can be sure that he treated them with all the respect they deserved. And, and friends, maybe that's, that's like some of us in the seventh-day Sabbath. 
We didn't know what we had. We didn't know how valuable the Sabbath was. Maybe we had no way of knowing, but God in his mercy speaks to us and says, I have plans for you. I have plans for you in earth's last days. I have plans for you today. I want you to enjoy the blessings you didn't even know existed. Friends, tonight I'd like you to consider the blessings that you've learned from the word of God and know that God has the best intentions for each and every one of you. He wants for you better than you could want for yourself. And while we exist here in this old world, God wants us to have a closer walk with Jesus than we've ever had before. Let's pray tonight, friends, and ask that God would have all of our hearts. He wants to give you blessings like you've never experienced before. How many of you want to experience those blessings tonight? Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much for your word. Lord, we want to thank you that it's trustworthy. Lord, we want to thank you for the Sabbath that you gave all the way back at creation, Lord, by, by giving us the example, Lord, how you, you blessed the day. Lord, you sanctified it. You set it apart and you rested. And Lord, we, we want to be able to do that too, Father. We want to follow your example. I pray, Lord, for those that are hearing this message for the first time tonight. Lord, maybe they didn't realize how valuable and how important the Sabbath was. I pray, Lord, that, that they would be able to experience your Sabbath blessings. Lord, we see in these last days, it says in Revelation 14, 12, that, that you will have a commandment-keeping people, a people that love you so much that they want to do what pleases you. And Lord, we want to be among that number. And Lord, I pray that you would please be with each one of us. Lord, may we study these things out. May we understand it. May we understand what a blessing the Sabbath is. I pray, Lord, for each person here tonight, Lord, that you would continue to speak to us, Lord. And as we spend that time with you each day, Lord, that you would reveal truth to us and that we would see that from your word, Lord, that these things are true. Bless each one of us, Lord. And uh, may we enter into your Sabbath rest, Lord, uh, each week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.